God, with a small g, is very popular today in America. The name of Jesus, well, that's something else. The topic today is the name that is above every name. We're glad that you're here today and we welcome you to this program, especially our viewers in the Middle East. We're so glad to welcome viewers from Saudi Arabia and uh, Iraq and Iran and Syria and Egypt. The program today is especially to bless you. But before I speak on this subject, it is my privilege today to welcome somebody who's very important in my life and in the lives of thousands of people, and that is my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today? Happy Sabbath, everyone. Last week, my husband and I received this very beautiful invitation to a wedding. I love weddings. If that's so, my husband once asked me, why do you always cry? I'm not sure. It just seems to be something that many of us ladies do. As much as I love getting invitations that say, come to a wedding, the best and most important invitation that I ever received was this one that said, come unto me, all of you who are tired from carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, signed Jesus. I was in my mid-teens, living in a home cursed by my father's alcoholism. My boyfriend was killed by a drunk driver. And all of this led me to ask, what is the meaning of it all? I studied and read about many religions, and it was only when I read this text, the one that I've just read, and others like it, that I started to have some peace and hope. Why do I love Jesus? Firstly, because he is who he claimed to be. Through a study of archaeology, prophecy, and history, I know this book, the Bible, to be true. And therefore, the message that it contains is also true. I love the book of John in the New Testament. This book, more than any other, stresses the deity of Christ. In John chapter 1, and this is a modern-day translation, it reads, Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him, and this life gives light to all mankind. And Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. Amen. Secondly, I love him because of Calvary. The more I contemplated his life and message, the more I became amazed. I suddenly realized that it wasn't the cruel nails that killed him, but it was my sin and the sin of the world. The cross told me how much he loved me and that led me to believe and trust him for my salvation. Over the many years since, when times have been difficult and hard and sometimes I've been tempted to think, does he really care? All I have to do is to look back to Calvary and I remember how much he loved me. He gave his own life. Thirdly, Jesus has kept every promise to sustain and lead me 
through life, especially with a chronic health problem that I've had the past nine years. Texts like the following have sustained me as they have for millions of others. Isaiah 12 and verse 2. I am your salvation. Trust in me and do not be afraid. I am your strength and your song. Isaiah 26 verses 3 and 4. I will keep you in perfect peace if you will keep your mind steadfast on me and always trust me. I am a rock you can always stand on. What a blessing these promises are to the believer. If I've thought it once, I've thought it a thousand times. I really don't know how people without a living faith in a living God survive. Another reason I believe and trust Jesus is because his teachings are the only ones that make any sense in this crazy, mixed-up world. John and I have traveled through many troubled countries, the Middle East, Africa, the former Soviet Union, and every time we come home, we say the same thing. The only religion that produces genuine peace, love, and hope is the religion of Jesus. These are a few of the reasons that I, with millions of others, love, honor, and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the America that was conceived in freedom's womb, not slavery's tomb. I thank God for the freedom we enjoy in America. They don't have it everywhere, folks. There's a reason for that. I believe in the America for all people, not just the men, are created equal. I thank God for equalities that we enjoy in the United States of America. It's not like this everywhere, folks. I believe in the America where a person is judged by the content of his character not the color of his skin. I thank God for the opportunity we have in the United States of America. America is often criticized but try some other place. I believe in the America that defends the rights of minorities, whether they be Hindus, Buddhists, Catholics, Protestants, Jews, atheists, or Muslims, whoever. I thank God for the rights we enjoy in this great land. Don't you? I believe in the America of freedom of speech where all have the right in the appropriate place at the appropriate time to freely express their beliefs and opinions. Whether those opinions go against the government or the biggest religion in the land, I believe 
And I thank God for the liberties we have in this wonderful country that calls itself America. I believe in the America that feeds the hungry, heals the sick, and replaces poverty with prosperity. I thank God for the quality of living we have in America. This is the most prosperous country in the world. There must be a reason for it. Many people criticize America and hate America because they are jealous. I believe in the America of the brave pilgrim fathers and mothers who came from afar across the stormy Atlantic, who had faith in the name that is above every name, Jesus. I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for Jesus, and listen carefully, because he is the author of freedom. He is the author of liberty, equality, opportunity, human rights, and prosperity. People say all nations, all religions are the same. Who are you kidding? It is because the founding fathers and mothers of this nation and the vast majority of the citizens since that day believed in the greatest name that is above every name that America became the greatest nation in history. America is what she is today because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my topic today is the name that is above every name. God, with a small g, is very popular in America. He's popular on television. He's popular everywhere in the Western world. He's popular in Australia. Everybody believes in God with a little g. But Jesus, ah, that's something else. Because to multitudes of people, he is a stumbling block and an offense. Franklin Graham spoke at a meeting. And as a Christian minister, he had the audacity to pray in the name of Jesus. The vice president was attending. And after Franklin Graham, the son of Dr. Billy Graham, had prayed in the name of Jesus. A man came up to him red in the face and said, you offended me. You offended me. You offended me. God with a small g is popular. Jesus is largely politically incorrect. Today is the third in the series about revelation of the apocalypse. And today we are going to see what Revelation says about Jesus. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8. This is the third in the series on Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Notice these words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty God. Who is this person who is speaking here, I wonder? Please come to Revelation 22. And we are told who this person is very, very plainly. Revelation chapter 22. We go from the first book to the last book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. And the verses are parallel verses. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The person who was called the Alpha and the Omega is who? Jesus. And so if you come back to Revelation chapter 1, my beloved friends, notice these words, verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. And you'll see the parallelism that is here. Verse 8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Who is that? It's Jesus. What is he called? Says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, he is called the Lord God. He is called the Almighty. How can we ever forget the scene in the Bible when Moses met God at the burning bush and a voice spoke to him and said, Moses, Moses, take the shoes from off your feet for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Moses said, what is your name? And the voice said, I am that I am. I am Yahweh Elohim. I am the first. I am the last. Jesus in Holy Scripture is called Almighty God he is even called, and we say this word softly because our Jewish friends who can often teach us lessons, particularly in reverence, will not say this name out loud. Jesus is called Almighty God, Yahweh Elohim, Lord God Almighty. Jesus is greater than any king, greater than any ruler, greater than any priest, greater than any prophet. Jesus is not God with a small g. Jesus is God with the God 
in caps. Almighty God. There is something that our Muslim friends and even our Jewish friends and our Hindu friends cannot comprehend. We don't say this to criticize them at all. They find it impossible to comprehend the fact that when Mary cradled a little baby boy, she was cradling the God who made the universe. That's why the Bible says, great is the mystery of our religion. Please notice Revelation 1, 9 to 18. As we continue to see what the Bible says, what Revelation says about the name that is above every name, my beloved friends. Revelation 1, 9 to 18. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Before we read any further, let me tell you something. It has never, never been popular to believe in Jesus. It's always been popular to believe in God with a little g. The Romans did this. It's never been popular to believe in Jesus because this man believed in Jesus. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed, he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of hell, the grave and Hades. Notice who this person is. He is described as a person who is like a son of man. The Bible teaches the astounding truth that God actually became a son of man. God in the person of Jesus has got fingers and toes and a nose. He is a real person. He is the son of man. 
And the Bible tells us he is wearing a very special garment. It is the garment of the high priest. Jesus is the high priest to whom we confess our sins. He is the head of the church. No man is the head of the church. Jesus is the priest and he's the head of the church. And in this tremendous picture, the Lord has got eyes like burning fire. His face is shining like the sun in all its glory. And a sword, symbolic of course, is going out of his mouth. Do you know what this symbolizes? It's a symbol of Christ in judgment. In the book of Revelation, there is a picture where Jesus is seated on the throne. And before him, every person stands to face him in judgment. You will. I will. The Bible says the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Even people who've been burned up in the fire will be resurrected. People who've been eaten by the fishes. Every person is going to be raised from the dead and they're going to look into the face of the judge of all the earth. Do you know who that is? That's Jesus. Listen, Abraham, Moses, the pharaohs, not Moses the third who said, I will not let the children of Israel go. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Pilate who washed his hands of the guilt of the Lord. Daniel, David, Peter, Paul, the popes, Alexander the great, Napoleon, Nero, the kings and the queens of Great Britain. The beautiful princess die. Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, Mussolini, millionaires and misfits, preachers, perverts, pornographers and prostitutes, drug lords, addicts, Larry King, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, Saddam Hussein, Yasser Arafat, Muhammad, Osama bin Laden, Ariel Sharon, George Bush, skeptics, mockers, politicians, presidents, you and I. Because he is the judge. His name is above every name. He is called in this passage that we have just read, the living one. He is the crucified Lord. Now our friends, the Muslims, teach that Jesus was a prophet, in fact, a very good prophet, but he never died on the cross. But the Bible teaches that the cross was his glory. That's the reason he came. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, but the Bible says he is alive forevermore. He is called not the dead one. He is called the living one. His name is higher than any other. 
There's nobody like him. And because there is nobody like him, so many people, my friend, want to confine him. And in fact, they hate him. Would you please come to Revelation chapter 3 as we explore the names of this wonderful person. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words, what does it say? Of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. His name here is the amen. Why is he called the amen? Because he is the last word. He is the end of all arguments. He is the amen. And he is called here the ruler of God's creation. Other translations like the New Revised Standard Version, I think express it more clearly. That translation says, he is the origin of God's creation. The King James Version says, he is the beginning of the creation of God in the sense that he is the person who brought it into being. Who is he? Why is his name above Muhammad and Moses? Every person. He is the creator who spoke into existence by the latest count 100 billion galaxies. Not 100 billion stars. In each galaxy, there are billions and billions of stars. But now we know there are at least 100 billion galaxies. Jesus spoke. And there appeared 100 billion galaxies. Who is he? His name is higher. Oh, the wonder, oh, the power of this matchless, incomparable Christ. Please come to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verses 2 and onwards. Revelation chapter 5, verse 2 and onwards. One of the most sublime passages in all of Holy Writ. Verse 2 and onwards. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. This is symbolic, of course. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Listen carefully. When it says there was a lamb, there's a number of Greek words for lamb. But the word that is used here is little lamb. 28 times, 7 multiplied by 4. 28 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb, the little lamb. A little lamb slain from the foundation of the world. How incredible could it be that the almighty God, the creator, the one who made a hundred billion galaxies is pictured here as a little lamb. What an amazing truth. Why? Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. In every religion, man saves himself by good works. Our friends, the Muslims teach that in the judgment day, God is going to weigh the bad works against the good works. And if there are more bad works, then that person goes to hell. But if the reverse is true, that person goes to the paradise of God, to the garden. Every religion in the world teaches that a person can be saved by his works, good works. But the Bible teaches that we cannot be saved by our works. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Nietzsche, the great German philosopher, derided Christianity because it was a religion of weakness, he said, and he said, Christ on the cross, the God of the spider, this weak thing, God on the cross, this despicable, filthy thing, God on the cross, the God of the spider. But in the book of Revelation, 28 times, it is God on the cross. We are saved 
because God became a man and God allowed himself in the form of a man, in the body of a man, to be crucified and nailed to the cross. And it is through his blood that our sins are forgiven. His name is higher than any other. He is the Lamb. Please notice Revelation 15 and verse 5. He is likened unto another beast. Revelation 15 verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus here is called by the name, the line of the tribe of Judah. Not only is he a little lamb that dies for the sins of the world, but the Bible tells us that he is the line. On two different occasions, my dear friends, I've gone to Africa and enjoyed a wonderful safari. Spent a lot of time out in the African bush. Seen all those wonderful animals. Seen thousands of elephants and wildebeest and crocodiles and giraffes and zebras and not zebras, zebras. <laughs> I knew that there was a rustle of discontent going through the congregation. But I chose to ignore it until my righteous indignation could take it no longer. I saw zebras. That is called grace to you. I also saw lions. I remember we were driving in an open vehicle. Julie was sitting beside me and we came upon four or five lions sitting beside the road. My daughter Julie, who has a lot of courage, I think, immediately sprang out of the vehicle and ran towards them, which caused me to spring out after her and run towards them also. Something wonderful happened. The lions were on a kill. Big mother lioness walked over towards us. And when she was a comfortable distance, she sat down and looked at us. Then the rest got up and with dignity walked into the bush. And when they were gone, she too got up and with dignity walked away. Lions are not cowards, neither is our Lord. Lions have courage. The lion is the noblest of beasts. A lion will fight to the death to defend her cubs. They have dignity, power, and courage. And Jesus has these traits and so much more. Let me give you a little aside. We went to Victoria Falls on two occasions at least. We got there one evening when the sun had gone down. The man who was driving us in the vehicle said to my question, 
are there any lines around here? He said, no, they don't come down here. And so that night we stayed in these little bungalows. I had a bunch of young people with me and that wonderful man, Keith Johansson, wonderful because he was paying the bills, <laughs> a wonderful Australian philanthropist. And so we were staying in these little bungalows and because the river was close by, I thought I will go for an evening meditation down to the river. And so about 10 o'clock at night beneath a full moon, I walked through the jungle down to the river and listened to the hippos in the water. And in the trees there were these baboons. I listened to the baboons and watched them swinging through the branches. Then after saying a little prayer, I went back and got into bed. The next day at breakfast, the guide said, something wonderful happened last night. I said, yes. He said a lion was walking around the bungalows because they are his footprints. And so as I had, as I had gone down to the river, quite likely a lion was watching me. One would not mess with a line in the dark. He is a formidable foe in fight. Remember the story that my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Rex Edwards tells about the missionary who was riding through the jungle in Africa on a bicycle. There he was going out to give a Bible study and a lion saw him and the lion was heard to say, aha, Meals on Wheels. <laughs> You've heard that story. But listen, a lion is terrible in battle when angered. Hear this? A lion is terrible in battle when angered. So is the Lord who will destroy his enemies on judgment day. Then it will not be gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is gentle, but he is not mild. He is the lamb, but he is the lion, ferocious in battle. And therefore we say, because he is the lion, those who deride him today, beware, scoffers, beware, blasphemers, beware, sinners, because the lion is mighty in battle. He is the line. Come now to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 to one of his most glorious names. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. That is his name, Christ. And this word, as we all know, is the same word for the Messiah. He is the person that all the prophets spoke about. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament messianic prophecies. He is the Lord and he is the Christ. Now there are people who are still waiting for him to come. But the good news is Christ has come and he's conquered the world, the sin and the devil. He is 
the Christ, Christ is here. And one of his greatest names you find in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. Here we have a number of his names. What a wonderful Christ we serve, my friend. Above every person, above every king, above everything that is known. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 and onwards. Wonderful passage. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called, isn't this beautiful? Faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him dressed on white horses, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he had this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How can you have the audacity to say that Jesus is the same as anybody else. He is above them all. Notice he is called here faithful and true. Oh, my friend, you know it, and I will not magnify it, but we live in the most flaky society at the most flaky time in the history of the world. When people are utterly unreliable, you cannot trust them, you cannot depend on them, they will lie to your face and they do it saying, but God understands me. Yes, he does. He understands that you're a reprobate. He does understand you. And if you continue in that situation, the line will destroy you. That is the teaching of Revelation. But Jesus is not like so many people who profess his name. He is faithful and true. Amen. He never lies. Oh, this is a lying generation. Do you lie? Did you know in the book, The Day America Told the Truth, it says that 92% of us are habitual liars. We lie about everything. But the Bible says liars are going to have their part in the lake of fire. They may be chanting hymns and talking theology as they're burning. But Jesus, our Lord, is faithful. You can depend on him. He is true. He does not change. Thank God for a Christ that we can depend upon. He is faithful and true, also called the faithful and true witness. He is called the Word of God. Jesus did not merely speak the Word of God. He was the Word of God. 
Now, when God wanted to send a message to the world, the ultimate message, he did not send a prophet with a word. Now, our dear Muslim friends say that the Quran is the word of God. And that is the greatest thing in the universe, a book. But Jesus is not a book. Jesus is the word. And when God wanted to communicate with the human race, he did not give them a sermon. He sent Jesus. Because Jesus is the word of God. He does not merely speak the word. He is the word. And he's called here King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As a small boy, long time ago, I was waiting to see the Queen of England. She just been coronated, just crowned with the great crown in Westminster Abbey in that magnificent ceremony that moves the heart of every person when you see a coronation. And I can remember standing on the streets of my hometown in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, with a vast crowd of people who were shouting, we want to see the queen. And then finally the queen appeared. The people were filled with joy to see the queen. And then when the queen was in Australia, she wore her beautiful robes and her long train. It flows behind her. They have a dozen or two dozen girls who carry the train. And on her head, a crown of diamonds. But one day she's going to kneel down and acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus, my friend, is the ruler of the universe. Out there, I believe there are great civilizations in space, great empires in space, million light years more advanced than anything we can think about. Jesus is the master of the universe, He's the master over all the angels, principalities, and powers. King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, he is not God with a small g. If he were, America would be like so many of her critics. Where people are still in slavery and in dreadful poverty. Blot Jesus from America's sky and America is a wasteland. He is Alpha and Omega, the Lord God, the Almighty. He is, and I say it once again with great respect, he is Yahweh, Jehovah. He is I am that I am. He is the Son of Man, the High Priest of the Church, the Judge of all men. He is the Living One, not a dead one. He is the Amen, the last word. He is the Creator of the cosmos. He is the Little Lamb. He is God on the cross. He is the Line of the Tribe of Judah. He is the Messiah. He is faithful and true. 
He is the Word of God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is name above every earthly name and we honor him and we worship him. Please notice Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Revelation chapter 5, 11 to 14. Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Therefore, my word to you today is this. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us worship him. Let us not just respect him. Let us bow down and worship him. Let us give him praise, all of our praise. Let us give him honor, all of our honor. Let us give him glory, all of the glory. And let us give him the power. And let us fall at his feet and worship him. His name is above every name. I want you to kneel today as an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in some communities, people worship God the Father and they highly venerate Jesus and they respect him. Our Muslim friends respect Jesus. But the difference with us is this, we worship him. We kneel today to acknowledge that he is God Almighty, the Amen. King of kings, Lord of lords, the judge of all men, our coming king. Let us pray together. Our Father, today on our knees we come before you. and We worship eternal God seated on the throne and the Lamb. We thank you that your Son is everything that you are, of the same essence, God from all eternity. Not a little God who was made in some strange, mysterious way, but that Jesus is Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, the almighty God, the self-existent God, the king of the universe, the amen, God's last word, the word of God 
the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the Lamb of God, God on the cross, with his own blood, paying the price for our sins. We worship him today. We give him the praise. We give him the honor. We give him the glory. And we give him the thanks. As we're praying today, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many will raise their hands and say, I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and by his grace I want him to be number one in my life. Can you raise your hand if that is your prayer today? I want Jesus to be number one in my life. I worship him. I praise him. I thank him for dying for me on the cross. I thank him for the forgiveness of sins. I thank him for the gift of everlasting life. And I want to thank you today, Lord, that Jesus is coming back with his angels in power and great glory to clean up the mess the sin has made and to take his people home to glory. Bless us, dear Father, with the blessed hope burning brightly in our hearts today. We worship you. We bless you, dear Lord. We thank you. We give you glory. And today we give you our hearts. We, we pray this prayer in the name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for his sake and for his glory, forever and ever, amen and amen.